All right, let's open our Bibles, Colossians chapter 2. Last time we uh, looked, all the fullness is in Christ. All the fullness is in Christ, and He's given it to us. To the, to the big questions in life, He answers them all, like what is the meaning of life, and what's the purpose, and why am I empty? Well, He's the one that fills us. He's the one that, that can give us the contentment that, that uh, we need and desire so much. But Paul warned the church at Colossae to watch out and to be discerning and not to be led astray because there's lots of ideas, lots of stuff out there. He says, through hollow and deceptive philosophy that wasn't based on Christ. Watch out, he says. A lot of human ideas, a lot of humanistic things, a lot of things of this world that, that are out there saying this is the way. But Jesus said no, that he was the way. In our philosophy of life, Paul teaches us here, must be based on Christ, who he is and what he has done and, and his word to us. So to mysticism, and these are some of the issues that were going on there in that day, mysticism, astrology, they were real big into that. Uh, like I've just mentioned, humanistic philosophy, the, the teachers now, they also added Jewish legalism. And so they put all these things together and you get this strange, weird mixture. But the purity of following Jesus Christ and him alone, that's what Paul is trying to say. Listen, all that other stuff, you've got to watch out, you've got to be careful. It's about following Jesus. Warren Wiersbe said, for salvation, they added all these things. And, and he says also to be, quote unquote, more spiritual. To become part of the spiritual elite. And he said the flesh loves to be religious. You know, to, to, you know, that was the thing. That's what they're all about. Well, you know, we've got all these special little things we need to show you so that you can be, you know, really spiritual. You know, the, the first class spiritual kind of people. You're not one of those second class. And, and I've heard it through the years too. Unless you do this and have this understanding and be like this, you're kind of like second class spiritual Christians. But let us show you that way. There's only one class, and it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's only one way, and it's Jesus Christ. Don't be led astray, he says. Jesus Christ alone is sufficient. Now, one, I'm going to ask you a question. Do any of you have any enemies? Anybody have any enemies? One or two of you. The rest of you are just skating along. Everything's cool. I remember when I was a kid, um, just a few years ago, um, y'all didn't catch that? Okay, just check it. Just see if you're listening. Um, I remember at the, at the elementary school that, uh, see, I can remember some things. Back to the elementary school. I had, I had like three older brothers, and... You know, there were some people who didn't like me. There were some people who didn't like our family or whatever. I've told you a little bit about that. There's had a lot of good reasons not to like our family. But, but my older brothers, and I can still remember my next older brother, who's two years older than me, um, he was a lot tougher than I was. You know, I, I wore glasses. I really wasn't that tough, you know. But, but um, you know, he would, if anybody was, like, getting on my case, he would just go and take care of it. 
If any kind of problem, you know, it's like I'm, you know, I'm with him. And um, I, can re- I can still remember it got to be kind of a pain because, like, you know, I don't want to be, you know, like him always taking care of me. And uh, so I tried to take care of a few, a few of the battles on my own, and you know what? It didn't go so well. <laughs> and I was glad to have him on my side. Really, I was glad to have him with me. Actually, I was with him. Uh, a little side note about that. Um, he's two years older than me, so uh, he's 50. He just, he's gonna turn, he just turned 59. So I'm going to be 57 this year. And uh, he has had a really, really rough life, and mostly his own choices got him into, you know, physically, he's just not doing very well at all. In the last, uh, within the last year or so, he's, he's uh, tried to commit suicide three times, once this last weekend. And, um, but he calls me up from time to time, and he just asks me to pray for him. Say a prayer for me, he says. And, and uh, I, got, I got a call Sunday night from the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Bakersfield, California, where he is, and he told me, you know, that, that he was back in the hospital again. I didn't know. And I didn't call him that night. I called him, and he was already out of the hospital. I called him at his house, and he just sounded good. And I said, like, what? You know, he says, I, I'm doing really well. I'm going, like, man, he just tried to commit suicide. Like, what? And I said... You know, and, and we've talked like a lot through the years. And I said to him, I said, what do you attribute it to? I wasn't going to lead him. I, I just want to know, what do you attribute it to? And he says, the Lord. And I said, oh. I talked a little bit more. And, you know, this life is difficult. And, and you know, isn't it interesting how the tables turn? He was there kind of looking out for me, watching out for me. And, I, and, and now, you know, he calls us asking us to pray for him. What's the point of all this is that we all have enemies and we all have issues and we all have um, problems, but to have someone looking out for us, there's a friend that sticks closer than the brother than a brother, the proverbs say, and that's Jesus. You know, the the passage that we're going to look at here today, really, the idea is that is that we can say, you know, when you try to go to some place really important and and they won't let you in. But if, you, if you've got someone who is very, very important and you say, well, I'm with him, it, the door gets opened. You get ushered in because you're with him. That's really what it is all about for you and I. It's not anything that we can do. It's not something that I can do. It's because I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. That's the only way I'm going to get in. That's the only way my enemies are going to be defeated because I'm with him. Let's look at verse 11, pick it up where we left off. It says, in him. In who? In Christ, in Jesus. I'm with him. I'm in him. He's in me. In him you, are, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature or flesh, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. 
Again, the, the people, these false teachers were coming in. They were telling them that they had to be circumcised. They were adding this Jewish legalism that, to, to uh, trusting in Jesus Christ to, again, for salvation and to be more spiritual. But again, they had it all wrong. They, they were looking to the flesh. They were looking to the flesh, but it, it had never been that way. And even in the Old Testament, circumcision was to be a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. It wasn't to be the covenant. It was a sign of the covenant. It wasn't what made them right with God. It was a sign of the fact that they, were, they had a heart towards God. Same with baptism today, and we'll see it in a, in a few verses. Baptism doesn't save us. Baptism doesn't, doesn't get us anywhere. All it is, is is an outward expression of something that must be on the inside. If it's not on the inside, you don't have it. If it's just because you did it on the outside, you were baptized as a baby, you were baptized as a, a youth or as an adult even, if you don't got something on the inside, you have got nothing. Let's turn back to Genesis just for a little bit of, of, of background to this. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17 Now, who can tell me, Genesis chapter 17, is this before or after the law? Before the law, that's right. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when Abraham or Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram fell face down. Jump down to... Uh, verse, let's see here, verse 7 says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to what? To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. To be your God. It's about a relationship between man and God and Abram. Uh, was the, the man that God chose to begin and to, to explain and to reveal his purposes and plan. Look at verse 11. He says, you are to undergo circumcision and it will be the what? The sign of the covenant between me and you. The sign of the covenant between me and you. See, it was, it was never to be that this thing adjusted this thing of the flesh. It was always to be in the heart from beginning to end. It's about the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on what? You can look, you know, so spiritual, you get do all the right things, say all the right words, say the right language. But God looks on the heart. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Four books ahead. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6. says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. See, it's a circumcision of the heart that God himself will do. But they had made it a ceremony. They had made it a ritual. And again, I like that quote, Wiersbe, because people, humans, we like to be religious. We like to have these religious things that we can rely upon. Why? 
because it looks back to me and I can take some credit. I can have a little things to be proud about. Back to Colossians, though. One man said this, and fortunately the Jewish people became occupied with the literal ceremony, but neglected its spiritual meaning. They, they picked up on the, the literal ceremony, but they neglected the spiritual meaning. It is not a work of the flesh, but it's a work of Christ in our hearts. And that's what Paul is saying here in the book of Colossians. That's what Paul is fighting against. And it wasn't just that place, but it was quite a few other places where they had to, you know, people are always bringing in this stuff. You know, uh, we, we think we're the creator and we can create all these little things to add to the simplicity that's found in Jesus Christ and trusting him. Paul said to the Romans, circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. He said in Philippians, it's we who are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. He could say it to us today. You know, we could do all kinds of good stuff and say, wow, look at us. We, look what we've done. But, but really, all that we have to say is that I'm with him. He's done it. I'm with him. I'm with him. That's what Christ has done. That's what matters Look at verse 12 there in Colossians chapter 2. He says, having been buried, what? With him. In baptism and raised with him. Through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. I'm with him. I was buried with him. I was raised with him through trusting in him. That's how he's done it, through our trusting in him. That's all we did was we trust what he gave to us. But to be identified with him, where we can say those words, I'm with him. That's the important thing. Look at Romans chapter 6. It's repeated again and again throughout the scripture. But I think for us to understand, and just to make it simpler, just that idea is that, you know what, we didn't do it, he did it, and I'm now in him, with him, and he's in me. It all gets back to him. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. That's all we can say. It was him, and, and we're, just, we, we're just with him because of what he has done. We're identified with him. And you say, well, is he talking about baptism here and in the previous passage? No. Warren Wiersbe, again, he points out that baptism in the New Testament both has a literal and a figurative sense, and literally the word means to immerse. But figuratively, figuratively, it means to be identified with. And we, the Bible says, we are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. We are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. We are identified with Him. So where does water baptism fit into it? Again, a water baptism is this outward sign 
of something that's taken place inside, something that has already taken place. Is it important to be baptized? Yes, but it doesn't save us. It is, a, it is a picture, though, when you think about baptism, and again, this idea of immersion where you take someone and you, you put them all the way down under the water. Some people fight it. They don't like to go down all the way under, but we got to go all the way under. And that, that kind of portrays burial with Christ. You're not just partially buried with Christ. you got to go all the way. If you're going to go, go all the way. And when you come up out of the water depicts the resurrection from death to life. That's the picture. That's the message. Of course, there's the, the public declaration to people around you, and in some places it's very dangerous to be baptized. For a Jewish person, a person in Israel to be baptized is, is kind of dangerous. But it tells people what you have done and what Jesus Christ has done in your heart. Should you be baptized? Yes, I believe you should. But I've, I've, I've heard it so often, well, you know, I've I got to get baptized and then I'll be, be a Christian. And then I'll be saved. And then I'll be right with God. Well, the only sense that's true about that is you'll be right with God because he tells us to be baptized. And so to be obedient to what he tells us to do that's right, but it doesn't make us right with God in the sense of, of washing away our sins. It's a picture of what Jesus has already done and that we take by trusting in him. Maybe there's some of you today, while we're talking about it, I, I thought I'd mention it, that, that you need to be baptized. You'd like to be baptized. And I think if, if that's you, I think you should write it on the back of your bulletin and, and put it in the box and... and uh, we, we will do what we need to do to make it happen. we got a tank back here behind us. We've never put any water in it because, uh, I don't know, we just never tried it. We always like to do baptisms at the ocean. The last one we did was at the ocean a few years back. I love doing it there. It's a little cold there right now, but if we, we, if we need to fill that tank for you, we will. I just hope it doesn't leak. <laughs> There's even a brand new water heater that's never used that will heat the water for you. Back in Colossians chapter 2, again, verse 13, he says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. I'm with Christ. That's how he made me alive, with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code. We were dead. We were just dead. And this idea of death, of separation, we were separated from God. We were dead in our sins. This is what he says here. You were dead in your sins, apart from him, separated. And, and there is no ceremony, there is no ritual, there are no works that can make us alive. There's not a thing that you and I can do to make us alive when we're separated from God and we're spiritually dead. There's nothing I can do. I can, you know, light some incense, you know, get into a certain kinds of physical, you know, I don't know, 
never mind. I can do anything I want to do. And, and again, we've been very creative through the years. The human race has to come up with all kinds of different things that we think are going to do it for us, that are going to give us life, but they, they do nothing. They're empty. They are empty. And the fullness, as we saw in the last passage, the fullness is in Jesus Christ, and, and his fullness has been given to us. I'm with him. God, he says, made us alive. He's made you alive with Christ. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have life. He repeats it in the book of Ephesians. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. He says, it is by grace you have been saved. Later on, he says, not by works. You're dead. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ and you wonder like, why do I feel so dead? Because you are dead. Why do you feel empty? Why do you feel separated from God? Why do you not know what, what life is all about? It's because you don't. You don't have life until you have Jesus Christ, until you can say, I'm with him. I can't help but think about the prodigal son and, and how... You know, he, he was there with his father, but, you know, he thought he could go out and do it himself. And he went out, and he spent all his inheritance, and, you know, he had a crazy time. I mean, he ends up there in the pig pen. He couldn't even eat the slop that the pigs were eating. And he said, you know what? It said all of a sudden he came to himself. And he realized, you know what? I, got, I have a father, and I need to get back to my father. He went back to his father, and it says his father was watching. He, was, he had his eye out to see if he would return. And when he saw him, it says he ran to meet him. He ran to him. That's a, such a touching picture, isn't it? But later he says, the father says this, This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found, so they began to celebrate. The son of mine was dead and he was alive again. That's radical. That's radical. It says here, he forgave us all our sins. The forgiveness of sins. That's important too, isn't it? That's all part of this. There's something about forgiveness. There's power in forgiveness. Not just uh, that we're forgiven, but then because we have been forgiven, we are also to forgive others. And there's a lot of power in that. Incredible power. Acts 13, though, the preaching is, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The forgiveness of sins. And, and Peter says, all the prophets in Acts chapter 10 testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. I want to know, I want to ask you today, do you have that forgiveness? Are you with him? Do you believe in him? And through his name, through being identified with him, we have forgiveness to believe and receive. That's what life. So we see here in these verses now, we see sin being conquered. Again, I asked you if you had enemies. Any of you think sin is an enemy? Sin is a big enemy. But not only sin, but also in these verses we see death is conquered. How many of you think death is an enemy? 
Death is an enemy as well. Sin and death now conquered. Why? Because we're with him. He's made us alive with Christ. He's forgiven us all our sins because of him. Not anything we did. Verse 14, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, he took it away. Nailing it to the cross. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. What a picture is that, huh? They say that this is a business term that that means that if you had a certificate of indebtedness that the debtor would actually have written out in the debtor's own handwriting that, you know, it's like an IOU that, that was written out. Having canceled the written code that was with its regulations that was against us, you know, the charges are true. And we are guilty as charged. Every single one of us, we are guilty as charged. But it says here that he took it away. He took that certificate. He took that, that uh, statement, that indictment. And it says that he took it away and he nailed it to the cross. One other person said that in that day there was a practice of taking uh, a written written evidence of the canceled debt and nailing it up in a public place so that all would see that the debt was paid. The debt was paid. Nailed to the cross. My sin, your sin. Nailed to the cross with him. I'm with him. But that's not all. Finally, verse 15, it says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Not just sin, not just sin and death, but also the enemies that we have, spiritual enemies. Our spiritual enemies, he says here, they were conquered, they were spoiled, they were disarmed. I believe the enemy doesn't want us to understand that. He doesn't want us to know that he has got no power over us because we're with him. He's still a roaring lion. That's what the Bible says. But the truth is he doesn't have any teeth. He can roar and it's pretty scary if a lion roars at you. You know, if you have grandkids, that's one of the first things you teach them. What does a lion say? Roar. Right? And then you chase them around the room saying roar, you know. But you're not going to hurt them, right? But for a lion, you know, that's coming after you, yeah, they're making a lot of noise, and he's making a lot of noise, and, and, but he's got no teeth because of what it says right here. He's disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, conquering over them by the cross. They have got no power over us despite their assertions, despite what they tell you. I'm going to crush you. I'm going to beat you down. I can make you do. I can, you know, destroy you. But that, that's not what the Bible says. So who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what it says here? Or are you going to believe what the enemy tells you? You know, and, and, and again, this whole idea, we, we've got to be careful that, that we understand this. And it's only because we're with him that we can have this victory and we can fight these battles you know, in the Acts where the, 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 the uh, Jewish 
um, what's the word? Uh, exorcists. They were going out and, you know, they were trying to deliver people from demonic spirits, right? And what did the demonic spirits say to them? Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know, but, but who are you? They were going out to try to do this thing, but they weren't really with Jesus. You know, we, we, if we try to fight the enemy in our own strength, good luck. Good luck. He's way smarter. He's been around a lot longer. He's got way more power. But, but that's why the Bible says you say the Lord rebuke you. Not I rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Oh, I rebuke you in the name of the Lord. That is still in the Lord, you, you see. But, but just to think that we're going to fight and, like, win, forget it. It's not going to happen. But because we're with him, they're disarmed. They don't have any power over us. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. We, years ago, when we were just brand new Christians, we kind of, you know, got into this thing where it's, you know, it was all about fighting the, you know, the spiritual enemies and all this stuff. And, you know, it, it kind of got way off into these weird things. And, and uh, all it did was stir up fear. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, building on this verse. It was building on, we got to get there and fight against these demons and, and demon, demon, who's got the demon? Well, everybody had demons if you listen to what they were saying. And then it got to be where, you know, uh, you know if you're, you're praying for somebody and there's this thing happening and maybe a voice that's happening, well, then you begin to build doctrines by what the voice said. You're, so, so in other words, that's how you're going to build your theology? By what a demon might say? Or some weird experience might, um, you know, show you? Believe me, I believe in, in demonic possession. I believe in, in deliverance. There's no question about it. But, but the enemy, I think, has, has got a gr- you know, hold of a group of people and got them so far uh, twisted in this area. Jesus said that Satan was the father of lies. And lies was, is his native language. So wh- how could you ever build anything upon what a demonic spirit might say? It's like ridiculous. You've got to build on this. So you and I, I, I don't want to minimize the fact that we have spiritual warfare. I, you know, I, I truly believe, and I, I think we all face it, spiritual warfare, but we can't stand in our own strength. We need to stand, Ephesians chapter 6, in the name of Jesus Christ and because we're with him by the blood of Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, I don't want to give Satan any credit at all. I don't want to talk about him all the time. I'd rather that we talked about Jesus. I don't want to talk about the devil all the time, what he's done and what he's doing and all this stuff. And that's kind of how it got in, in that group so long ago. Another quote by Wearsby. You know, I like Wearsby. He's, he's really cool. But he said this, The death of Christ on the cross looked like a great victory for Satan, but it turned out to be a great defeat from which Satan cannot recover. He thought, man, if I just kill the son, right? 
It's going to be taken care of. It'll be all over. But you know what? It turned out to be a defeat for him because in that cross, that's what it says here, triumphing over them by the cross, in the power of the cross. He was defeated, and he will never recover from it. Never. So you and I need to stand in the cross, stand in the victory of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So through faith in him, through receiving him, our hearts are circumcised. We have new life. We have forgiveness for all our sins. Our spiritual enemies are defeated. Not they're going to be, they are defeated. They've already lost. And it's all because we can say, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. Not something we can earn, achieve, figure out on our own, do some ritual, stars line up, some human philosophy, some legalistic practice, none of it. It's only found in Christ. I want to close with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. He's talking there, of course, about resurrection and, and uh, defeating death, but, but uh, there's a powerful statement that really ties in with all of it for you and for me. In verse 57, he says, But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you and we thank you that that you came, you gave your life, you died upon the cross, you were buried, you rose from the dead, that you might defeat sin, conquer death, and triumph over all the spiritual forces of darkness, all the spiritual enemies that are in this world. That it's only as we're in you and it's only as we are identified with you that those now belong to us because of what you did. And so, Lord, we come and we thank you. Thanks be to God. Thanks to the Father. Thanks to the Son. Thanks to the Holy Spirit because the victory is ours through Jesus Christ. We pray you'd help us to fulfill that next verse, to stand firm. Let nothing move us. Keep, Keep going on. Keep persevering because the things we do are not in vain. Serving you will never be in vain. God, we thank you for your son, for Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all that he means to us, all that he's done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.